Welcome to The View from the Front. My name is Stan, and this is the October 19th edition. If you are joining us for the first time, welcome. Every week I do three things. I cover hot spots and defense news happening around the world that could affect the United States. I attempt to unite our country, and I always share plenty of motivation and wisdom at the end of each episode because I really want to help encourage you and lift you up. As you guys know, I had no podcast last week. It's because my family and I were on a cruise. We went down to the Bahamas, had great weather, had a great time, and it was a good week off, good chance to recharge and, you know, just... Sometimes we get so busy in life, you just got to at times just take your pack off and just try to relax some. And I think we did a pretty good job of that. Had a great time, like I said. So I appreciate you guys giving me a week off. Really glad to be back. Now, of course, while I was gone, a lot happened in the Middle East, of course. And Hamas carried out that terrible attack against Israel. There's been at least... 1,400, I believe, is the last number I saw confirmed deaths in Israel. Obviously, about 100 or more hostages taken. And since then, there's been a bombing campaign, and there have been thousands of Palestinians who have died in the fighting, as well as, of course, Hamas fighters. And I wanted to say, there's like three things that happened, or three things I've heard that just are mind-boggling. And th- these are from people that I know pretty well that make pretty good money. Actually, I think about all of them make more than I do. These are Americans that have said just some of the most shocking things to me since this all began. I actually want to share all three of them because they are all three things that almost just make me want to go on Just a rant, but they're kind of head-scratchers, too. So in no particular order, I'll begin with the first one. So the first one involved someone who's a friend who talked about they have a family member who, as all this was going down, is or was or is currently, quote, in the, I won't say the word, S-H-I-T. And I'm like, he's in the shh. And he's like, yeah, man, he's over there in it. I'm like, well, that's odd. Because the person is a reservist who's in Kuwait. Guys, I don't know if you've looked at a map lately, but Kuwait is nowhere near Israel. And while we appreciate everyone serving, it really frustrates me if someone exaggerates what they're doing. And so I had to bite my tongue, and my wife kind of had to pinch my arm. But it just, one of my pet peeves is if someone who is serving, who should be very proud of serving, very proud of what they're doing, if they either exaggerate or allow others to exaggerate. Now, this was all coming secondhand from a family member to that person. Maybe the, I hope that the military person hadn't said those words but if you know someone who's serving and you ever catch them exaggerating or allowing others to exaggerate what they're doing man like pull them to the side and tell them that it's not good for their family because this this guy's family's worried about him and it's very frustrating for a guy like me who was 
in the Marine Corps, in the infantry, who actually flew in with 30 other dudes into a very dangerous situation that had absolutely no control. We had no control of the country of Albania in 97. We took rounds going in. We were a couple hundred miles away from any supporting units. Now, my platoon was only there for two days. But when we returned to ship and other units went in after us, our command advised us to understate everything. And that's what we did. We didn't tell our families what we had gone through. We didn't exaggerate. We didn't talk about the possibilities that we might have to go back. We didn't do any of that because that's what responsible veterans do. You downplay things. You don't want your family worried about you. There's nothing they can do. And so even when you're in the sh you you try to downplay it that's that's what good military folks do and so it's frustrating when someone allows others to believe things that aren't true or even ramps up or amps up the drama so that others hold them on a higher pedestal because that's you know you're stealing the well-deserved props of someone who's done something much more dangerous. You are literally stealing the high praise that they deserve. And it, it's very frustrating to hear something like that and to be in a situation where you don't want to mention anything, obviously, to that person. But I'm sorry. I appreciate everyone's service, but if you are in Kuwait right now, you are not in the shit. You're just not. Now, there's a chance that, you know, Iran could launch missiles. There's obviously some level of threat, but uh, I don't want to go on a rant, but that was a very frustrating thing to hear. So that was the first one. The second one involved a friend that was talking about the situation in the Middle East, and they were talking about how it's all biblical and they have to fight it out over there before Jesus returns. and So this person goes on about that a bit. I'm just kind of nodding my head because I didn't really want to start a big fight or anything. And, and then this person who literally served in the military, this is someone who ought to have a decent understanding of things, then says, half the time I'm looking up half expecting a missile to come in. And he looks up in the sky and kind of laughs. And then he kind of goes into the talking about the mark of the beast and how cell phones and COVID lockdowns. And, and by then, I'm just like, oh, man, I just want out of here. And he finally says, I mean, what do you think? And I was just like, oh, man, I, I, I do not like to talk politics, and I certainly don't like talking religion with someone. But he's kind of dragged me into it. And I'm just like, well, I mean, I kind of feel like you could make the argument from the Bible that all the prophecies have already done you know been done so i feel like jesus could come at any time but so i don't feel like there's any certain things that have to happen over there this or that and the funny thing is i say that just barely put it out there and the guy pivots and immediately he's like yeah yeah i think you're right about that and i, I was just like man like you you spent five minutes telling me with some level of confidence the other way i mean do you i, I was just thinking does the guy I don't know. <laughs> Did I change his views? Did 
Did he not have strong-held views? I'm not sure. But it was just shocking to hear this. And I wanted to ask, like, where do you think this missile is going to come from? I mean, Iran doesn't have missiles that are going to hit us. So are we talking about Russia? Are we talking about China? No real threats from either of them happening right now. Like, why, why are we so wrapped up on this drama? Why do we love, like, amping it up? Why do we talk about these things in such hushed, fever, feverish pitches of fear? Like, I, I don't get it. And then the final one was another friend kind of talking to another friend that I'm standing near them and is like, and now President Biden's talking about $100 billion to Ukraine and Israel. And with how high inflation is, don't get me started. Now, you guys know that I'm obviously a very strong supporter and defender of the financial aid and military aid that we've been sending to Ukraine. And I think it's a bargain. I've talked about these things a lot. And it was so hard for me to bite my tongue. Because I wanted to say, man, like $100 billion isn't anything. If you had any concept of our federal budget, you would realize a hundred billion, that's nothing. That That is, I should dig up some examples of how little that actually is. But I think just to even put it in perspective, our federal spending is 6.5 trillion every year. 6.5 trillion every year. And the person who made this comment is someone who's pretty good as far as knowing money. They're in the banking industry, so they're not just a, you know, it's not like they're a layman who's doing absolutely nothing in the in the market of finance. And I was thinking about the student debt relief recently. I, there, were, there were probably five or ten things that I could name that would put that in perspective. But, you know, you just bite your tongue. And I, I've just, it's just, it's, I don't, I don't even know how to say it, but it's just shocking to me how, frankly, poorly informed we are as Americans. I mean, these, these are, these are not like super poor people who know nothing. And the, and the problem is we're all getting our news from silos. And of course, that's what I'm hoping this will eventually help counter some of this because it is crazy to me how poorly informed some people are maybe a lot of people are maybe maybe even most people are and then that starts to make me get worried for the future of our country i'm naturally an optimist i still am an optimist but you just hear things sometimes that are just so baffling so shockingly just ill-informed or not to be mean but just stupid and man that's the kind of stuff that does worry me sometimes you know we don't want to be the city of rome toward the end of the roman empire where people are just so you know as long as the wine came on time they weren't too worried about the barbarians that were you know 30 miles away and closing in so it's these are the things that concern me sometimes, but I really feel like that as I've seen so much social media the last two weeks, heard other comments, seen posts from people, 
it's like I feel like I am a very small part of the antidote that I want to be a place where you can go every week and just get some sanity, just some common sense and news from a person who isn't screaming, who isn't trying to scare you, who isn't doing any of those things, who's more like saying, guys, calm down, like, just breathe. Even the situation with Israel and Hamas, I, it's crazy to me the way some have tried to just way blow that out of proportion. The attack was absolutely terrible. The bombings that are probably just really getting started or, I mean, obviously these are terrible things, but even in the grand context of things, they're kind of small. Is it the 9-11 of Israel? Well, yes, it probably is. But if you compare it to Israel's history, to some of the invasions Israel has dealt with or some of the wars, does it compare to that? I mean, I'm, I'm asking an honest question. It doesn't. Have we as Americans seriously forgotten about the war that Israel fought in 1967 when they fought Egypt, Syria, and Jordan in what was called the Six-Day War? I mean, you don't think that was scarier? That was back when the Soviets had far more power. We got nuclear weapons aimed at everyone. And then even just less than 10 years after that, the Yom Kippur War, 1973, coalition of Arab countries led by Egypt and Syria, and Syria launch an attack against Israel. Complete surprise. You don't think that was big? And so it's hard when you have a historical perspective and you see something like this. Hamas is a terrorist group, clearly, but it's a lightly armed group. There's not battalions of tanks or divisions of tanks from places like Egypt or Syria. Now, there's some concern that the war could spread, but I just don't understand this almost craving of Americans to make things scarier than they really are, to almost just thrive or just live and just roll in all of the drama and the videos and all those terrible things that truly are out there on social media. But, ah, guys, just breathe. Everyone needs to just breathe. If you've got a friend that's way, way out there and way too worried about all this, you might need to tell them about the podcast because... I'm not going to be that guy that ramps everyone up and scares everyone. Not going to be that guy. You're at the wrong place. Everyone needs to just breathe. So we'll begin the news with Israel and Hamas. Obviously, thousands of Israeli troops are staged on the border for a potential invasion into northern Gaza. That's been talked about, predicted the entire time. I am not super confident it's going to happen, but we will see. There are clearly lots of troops staged on the border, but I do wonder if maybe some generals inside military command 
aren't starting to possibly question the success possibilities of an invasion into Gaza. Now, there's been some talk that perhaps the delay has been because they're waiting for cloud cover to break. It does seem like that they almost have to do something just for the political almost appetite inside Israel to punish and to retaliate. Both America and many other countries have a long history of feeding a public appetite for retaliation or revenge. But at the same time, anyone who understands military tactics knows that going into Gaza, that small strip of land, is probably exactly what Hamas wants more than anything else. Anyone who has a decent concept of military tactics knows urban fighting is very bloody. The Hamas terrorists are mostly lightly armed, light weapons, machine guns, and everything that Israel has has more sophistication, longer range. All the superior things that they have are better utilized in defensive areas where they can maximize their range. If Israeli troops go in there, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know there's going to be very high casualties. It's going to be close in fighting. Israelis are going to be entering buildings that are loaded with explosives. These buildings will then be detonated and dozens of Israelis will die at a time. There are tunnel systems inside Gaza. It is going to be horrific if they go in. And there will be, unfortunately, pretty high civilian casualties. There's almost no way that I see Israel Israeli troops going in there and getting any kind of victory that doesn't lead to much worse world opinion against Israel. It's going to look horrible. You know, they've already cut off water and electricity. And you can only do these things for so long before world opinion completely pushes back against you. And you go from a horrific attack that Hamas did against Israel with world opinion on your side to world opinion seeing tanks and well-armed troops going in to an area and fighting light fighters who don't have helmets and armor and all that. These are mostly lightly armed terrorists and fighters. There will be locals there who obviously fight as well, who maybe aren't even a member of Hamas, who after, you know, this is one of those things we dealt with in Afghanistan, after when you irritate people enough, after days of no water, electricity, of seeing other unfortunate casualties of kids or women from some of the bombings, some of the people who might not have fought will pick up arms. So it's that whole, you create terrorists almost as fast or resistance fighters as you kill them or eliminate them. So it's a, I'm not sure if Israel's starting to do the math on that yet. And of course, it's all exacerbated by the fact that Benjamin Netanyahu is in a very weak political position, and so he's going to probably act stronger than maybe even he normally would have. He's already a very staunch advocate for defense and for standing strong for the Israeli people, so it's 
definitely a challenging situation that's going to unfortunately lead to more bloodshed. But I'm not 100% convinced that some of the initial predictions of what the Israeli military would do are going to be what actually happens. We'll have to see. I'm kind of going on a limb there because, like I said, public opinion is demanding that they really go in and go all out. But I don't think Israel has seen the casualties that are going to come from that, and I don't think they've seen how the world opinion is going to start pushing against them as this happens. Now, the good news is is that so far, after initially there was some reporting in the Wall Street Journal that Iran had given Hamas the green light for this horrific terrorist attack, that has really been pushed back against and is mostly seen as false now. There's been lots of reporting and increasingly, in fact, the New York Times recently had a article that talked about that Iran was as surprised by the attack as Israel was. And even though Iran has obviously armed Hamas a lot and helped train them, They've helped fund them. They were as surprised by the attack as the Israelis. And the New York Times article even adds that U.S. intelligence also seems to confirm that Iran had no idea that this was going to happen. Now, you might be skeptical about that, and I I completely understand being skeptical. But if you look at the language and actions of Iran since this has all happened... They haven't exactly been all in on this attack. And certainly, if there was ever a time to do something with Hamas, Iran had that opportunity. And if you just look at the military situation, Iran has a lot more to lose from this, from getting involved, than not. They haven't yet, despite large Arab support for getting involved Across the Middle East, I should say. Obviously, in Iran, there's a very strong pro-democracy movement that we've talked about in the past. But if there was a time to really try to get involved, you'd think Iran would have already stepped in. And they haven't yet. We've positioned more aircraft. We've moved two aircraft carriers. We've done some things to counter the potential of Iran getting involved. But we're well over. We're approaching two weeks, and Iran hasn't gotten involved yet. I don't think Iran's in a place where it's in their interest to get involved, especially with the level of forces that we've moved in, and especially with initially all of the world opinion basically being on Israel's side. So the good news is Iran hasn't gotten involved yet, and I'm just like with the ground invasion, I'm a little skeptical that Iran will get involved. I feel like they have a lot to lose, including Not only the oil fields that we would strike, but the fact that they are getting closer to some potential serious progress on their nuclear capabilities. If they get involved at all, without question, Israel and or ourselves, maybe together, maybe alone, those facilities in the mountains are going to get bombed. And they're going to get bombed heavily and seriously And any progress Iran has made will be absolutely eliminated. That's pretty much a given, I would say. So I think Iran 
really wants to be careful. I don't think they're where they want to be as far as having a nuclear capability or even having their forces in a situation where they can do what they want to do. So that's my take on it. I obviously could be wrong, but that's where I'm at as of Wednesday night, the night before you're hearing this. I will say, just like I said before, I left last week for the vacation. If you haven't signed up for email alerts, make sure you do. If some kind of major ground invasion starts, I will definitely be pumping out some newsletters, so it'll be a good way for you to stay informed from a media source that is not going to exaggerate or overhype things. So let's move from there to some Ukraine news. Some really good things happening if you're on the side of Ukraine. First of all, it's now being reported that Ukraine has received all 31 of the M1A1 tanks that were pledged by the U.S. That was originally reported first in the Voice of America, which is obviously a news source that's got a pretty long history. I was not able to confirm that in any other media source as of Wednesday night, but there were lots of big-name publications like the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and other publications that mentioned that the first tanks had begun arriving in Ukraine as of September. Obviously, that was last month, middle part of last month. Most of these articles were running two, three weeks ago. And originally, the U.S. had promised that all 31 would be delivered by the fall. So, you know, we're in the fall. So, to me, it seems logical that the Voice of America probably has a good military source or a source inside Ukraine. Voice of America is a publication that obviously has lots of foreign reporters, so it does seem like if they're not all there, all of those 31 tanks, then they probably will be soon. So that's the first bit of good news for Ukraine that I definitely wanted to make sure I got in. Total side note, but if you've never researched Voice of America, make sure you do that. It's actually state-owned by the federal government, but it produces news in like 48 languages, I covered kind of an in-depth bit about that probably six or seven months ago, but just Google Voice of America. You'll see they have complete freedom as far as editorial independence, and it's just a way for countries that have authoritarian governments to get actual news from the West that's far more reliable as we kind of pump it in to some of these areas. But it's interesting to look at if you've never researched that. Take a minute, do so. I think you'll find it very enlightening. And other good news for Ukraine. You know, for weeks now, there's been all of this talk about would the U.S. send those ATACMs, long-range missiles, to Ukraine? And there was some reporting that maybe they would, and then maybe they wouldn't, and then President Biden was holding them up. Of course, if you're not familiar with the ATACMs, those are those long-range missiles that fire out of those multiple-launch rocket system high Mars, which is, of course, high-mobility rocket launchers. But Ukraine has been wanting these long-range missiles for so long. And there was lots of talk about, oh, we shouldn't because it's going to make Russia's worried about them and it's going to make Russia mad. And so there's been all this talk. Well, amazingly, the U.S. did about the smartest thing it could do. Because lost in all that conversation about would they send them, when would they send them, who was holding it up, the U.S. actually sent some. (laughs) 
And the Russians apparently had no idea that these missiles had been sent into Ukraine. And so Ukraine launched a number of these long-range missiles and destroyed an airfield and nine helicopters of Russia's, some of their best helicopters. They've been using these attack helicopters to really do a number on the advancing Ukrainian troops and tanks. We have talked about that a lot. If you're a new listener, I'm sorry you're just hearing this, but we've talked about this a lot. And so Ukraine gets these long-range missiles, and they launch them at an airfield, destroy nine helicopters, some fuel, some other stuff, some air defense system there, an ammunition warehouse. I mean, they really... They hit some infrastructure on the airfield, and there's satellite imagery, this stuff you can see. But they really... Some people are saying it is the biggest one-day achievement of Ukraine since the beginning of the war, which, if you think about some of the ships they've sunk, if you think about some of the other things they've done, that's saying a lot. I mean, they've damaged a sub, they've sunk the flagship of the Black Sea, they've done some big things, but knocking out these nine helicopters were a really big deal. Some of the estimates were that at one point Russia had about a hundred of these attack helicopters, and that's been getting whittled down every single week. Seems like Russia loses one or two, so they're maybe down to 50 or 30, or depending on where you're seeing the source. But to lose nine helicopters, now some of those were troop carriers, what the Russians call the hind helicopters, but four or five of them were attack helicopters. And of course, with any numbers, when we're throwing out 30, 40, you got to remember that in a war situation with lots of logistical problems, many aircraft or even tanks or trucks, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. At any given time, a certain number of those aren't even usable. They're not in operation. They're broken down or they're missing parts or they've been slightly damaged or this or that. So this was a big day for Ukraine. And so huge props to our federal government, which doesn't always do things right, for actually sneaking those in and giving Ukraine a very serious and effective one-day win, so to speak. They did hit two different occupied cities inside Ukraine. Both of them were about 185 to 100 kilometers away. The first one was Luhansk. The second one was Berdyansk. And so they hit these, but they did find some wreckage from the rockets that has made it to social media, or missiles, I should say. And they are the older ones that the U.S. had. And these are only have a range of about 160 kilometers. Ukraine was hoping for the one that had nearly 300 kilometer range. At least the ones that were fired so far are the older ones, so I'm not sure. Maybe the U.S. hasn't decided to send those long-range ones. This again follows the theme that we've talked about a lot, that much of the stuff that we've sent over there is our older equipment. It's the stuff that literally we would probably destroy or sell. It's not even stuff that we use anymore. So again, it was definitely older missile systems that were sent there. While we're on this topic of the missile systems and the budget There was a column in the Washington Post by Josh Rogan that talked about that 
the cost of helping Ukraine fight back this Russian brutal invasion has amounted to less than 5% of the U.S. defense budget. Less than 5%. And he makes this argument about how, because obviously with every all the turmoil going on in the House of Representatives as they try to pick a new speaker, he really lays out the counter-argument to why this is good policy for America. So he goes into the cost, again, 5% of the U.S. defense budget, which is, of course, completely kneecapping one of our strategic, largest strategic opponents. Russia, obviously China makes the list, Iran makes the list, you could throw North Korea on there. But the most active and one of the most dangerous has been Russia, historically speaking. And so for less than 5% of the budget, of the defense budget at that, we have completely kneecapped Vladimir Putin. And he makes the point that much of that money is actually going to U.S. companies to replenish stocks of old weapons that were sitting idle anyway. I thought that was really well worded. We're replenishing stocks of old weapons that were sitting idle anyway. And obviously, we don't have any troops there. The Ukrainians are paying this price in their own blood, in their own sacrifice, and they're just asking for a little help. That's all they're asking for. They're not asking for troops. They're not asking for, they're just asking for weapon, better weapon systems so that they can more easily defend themselves against a far larger enemy. That's all they're asking for. While we're on the subject of weapon systems, there was two things that happened in the past couple of weeks that didn't really make the news. These were kind of in-the-weeds sort of announcements. And these are the kind of things that aren't huge, but they really add up. And so I just wanted to briefly mention both of them. The first one is a couple of weeks ago, Spain announced... The country of Spain announced that it will uh, send six additional launchers for the Hawk air defense systems to Ukraine. Now, the Hawk anti-air missiles are definitely older, but they're still effective. These go back from 70s, 80s. But the great thing about the Hawk weapon systems is that it's an older system, and there are a lot of those missiles out there, including in the U.S. And so... This will be six additional launchers that they can have to shoot down some of these incoming rockets that Russia loves to fire, especially in the winter. So, the Hawk air defense system, six of them from Spain. Also, in the past couple of weeks, Germany announced that it's going to send an additional Patriot system to Ukraine for the winter months, because a lot of people predict that Russia is going to again try to go after the electrical grid inside Ukraine. So that is just huge news as well for Ukraine, because those Patriots are obviously one of the best anti-air systems out there, and this will provide much better air defense capability. So again, as we've mentioned things throughout the past few weeks and months And you can just continue to see progress is being made inside Ukraine with their air defense systems, with the discussion of F-16s eventually getting there, with the transfer of MiG fighters from some of the NATO countries. 
Ukraine has really just almost week by week just strengthened their air defense systems like a fighter that's been training week after week, month after month, getting their communications better, just constantly getting stronger as we watch Russia continue to get weaker, to lose additional units or capabilities or their artillery advantage, which has almost completely been wiped out and made at least equal to you to the Ukraine. We've seen this progress by Ukraine. Even though the counteroffensive has not made massive land gains, the evidence is very clearly that Ukraine is getting stronger as they get ATAC on long-range missiles from the U.S., as they get these air defense, these air, air defense units, the jets, as they get these things, Ukraine is getting stronger and Russia continues to just throw those final haymaker punches as they are attempting this crazy offensive up north, which is gaining almost no ground, but which is really costing them a lot of offensive capability. I really don't even know what they're trying to do, but it's almost like a last gasp of an effort. But the facts are pretty clear on the ground that Ukraine is getting stronger. I actually wanted to share something from a fellow veteran who graciously granted me permission to share this. His name is Josh Manning. He served in Iraq, and he shared a thread on Blue Sky, which is a social media channel that's kind of a replacement for Twitter, basically. But he said I could share this. He wrote this great thread. And it started with him sharing an article from the New York Times. And the headline on the New York Times was, Who's Gaining Ground in Ukraine? This year, comma, no one. So who's who's gaining ground in Ukraine this year? No one. So Josh Manning shares this incredible thread that I'm going to read here briefly. Because he posts this up and he just perfectly summarizes what I wish I could have said this well. So here's, this is Josh's words. When I worked for a numbered task force, I once spent a week every single day and everyone else who managed the operational and intelligence flow chasing one guy around Baghdad. So again, he spent an entire week every single day chasing one guy around Baghdad. So he continues, every single day for a week. It was exhausting, especially when progress is usually measured in literal minutes. When the time came to grab him one night, the task force conducted their mission and missed. After a week of literal dawn to dusk surveillance, the green light to go went out, but somehow he shook surveillance and was at a different location. I wasn't on shift that night. It sucked. It hurt. But we went on to the next target. Years passed. Others who followed me disseminated the networks and saved lives. I was actually in country as a civilian several years later, and one day the objective name came across as captured. Five years later. It took five years, and I celebrated. I didn't do anything to finish it, but someone else did. They kept at it. Wars, conflicts, post-war conflicts, 
don't have a smooth Hollywood media narrative. They don't do what Georgetown sages want. They don't follow the norms of a screenplay or someone's subscription substack. Sometimes it takes years to measure progress. The Ukrainians are winning. The Russians are losing. That's the narrative if you want to have one. That terrorist I tracked had some success, a lot of luck, but he was always going to lose because no one lost sight of him, ever. We kept at it. The Ukrainians, they are keeping at it. They have had success this year. It doesn't show up in the dailies or the weeklies, but it's success on so many fronts. If you are writing their obituary or saying that Russia is winning today and tomorrow and in the future, you are horribly mistaken and will be embarrassed. And so that was what he shared. I asked him if I could share because it's just so well said. And it's why when I mentioned funding from the U.S., I guess this was two or three weeks ago, I said during that that it is almost... It's egotistical to think that the Ukrainians have to have U.S. funding. I think if the U.S. cut them off, they would still win. I think if Europe cut off the funding, they would still win. They, Their hearts are in it. It's their homeland. They have shown their ingenuity. And so for us to say it's because of our funding or that they have to have it or else... I think that's a little bit of an exaggeration, honestly. I think they're going to win without us. But if we, why would we not send older weapons there? Why would we not help a country that's fighting for its democracy? Again, without U.S. troops, as you've heard me say a hundred times about in Afghanistan when we spent $300 million a day and we had U.S. troops there, we spent $2 trillion over 20 years. Most Americans had no idea it was even happening. They didn't care. They barely kept up with the news. The only reason any of this is even controversial is because the far right under Trump has pushed an isolationist line of thinking. And they, for whatever reason, have pushed that we cannot spend this money or send this over there. Or I honestly can't even really follow their line of thinking on half of this stuff because it's so diametrically opposed to what I used to believe when I was a conservative, to what John McCain believed, to what Mitt Romney believed when he ran for president, to what even Senator Lindsey Graham believes. Even there's still a lot of Republicans that see the wisdom of continuing the financial support. But for whatever reason, this has somehow gotten politicized, and it's, it's very frustrating and it's sad for the Ukrainian people who've endured all these bombardments on their towns and cities as Russia has committed so many war crimes and literally targeted schools, various you know large apartment buildings. It's horrible what Russia has done. And so I don't understand the resistance, but I just want to do my small part every week to try to show the value of continuing to help this fledgling democracy, which isn't perfect, as it tries to stand on its own feet, 
as this country that gave up its own nuclear weapons for security assistance from or security assurances from the West that their security would be never imperiled. They gave up their nukes. They don't have that capability, and that has led to at least one small part of why they ended up being invaded, and we've left them mostly high and dry. But it's great that we are giving what we are, but it's just frustrating that we don't do a little more with some of our older weapon systems, including the F-16s. As I said a couple of weeks ago, these are fighters that are 50-plus years old. We're not sending them our best stuff. But I really appreciate, Josh, if you're listening to this, you let me share that. I think it's so well said, and we will move to the next topic, which I think we need to cover China for just a moment. We haven't hit on that in a bit, and I just feel like there's a couple of things I want to say about that situation. And then after that, we will get into the motivation and wisdom section. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to and would like to help support the show, you can do so by signing up as a monthly paying subscriber. For $5 per month, you can help us sustain, grow, and improve the show. Again, you can help support the show for only $5 per month. Come and go as you wish. You can find all the details on my Substack page. That's stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Or just find it in the episode notes. Thanks so much, guys. So I mentioned I wanted to discuss two things regarding China. The first thing is that The leader of China, Xi Jinping, had a meeting with Vladimir Putin, sort of a bit of a summit. And there was just one thing I wanted to mention from that, which is that increasingly, for a while, it's been about a decade since China unveiled plans for this to rebuild an ancient Silk Road. And they had all these plans to do things and build this superhighway, so to speak. And that's kind of been faltering It's about a $1 trillion endeavor, but it's mostly just this loose network of power plants, ports, roads, railways, and there's been lots of controversy involving it, including some countries like Nepal, Sri Lanka, and others are struggling to overcome just a large amount of debt involved. And then other countries, such as Laos, and a few others are starting to really fear some of the threats to their national sovereignty. So Xi Jinping holds the summit, and I wanted to just share how he is now trying to market this. He is claiming that the U.S. and other European countries are threatening the supply chains in China and Asia as a way to reduce their dependence on them since they see China as a threat. And so he's trying to paint the U.S. and Europe as this foe that is threatening the economic viability of those countries in Asia. And I wanted to share a quote from that. Quote, seeing other people's development as a threat and economic interdependence as a risk will not allow you to live better and develop faster, he said. So he's trying to get some of these Asian countries to see China as not a threat and that it's actually 
dangerous what the U.S. and Europe is doing. So I wanted to just share that because it is interesting. It's quite a pivot, but they do. Ha- China does have to find a way to sell itself better because it has been bullying a lot of nations, as we've covered so many times in the past, really since the show launched, but really the past two years. But they have so many instances that I remember covering of islands or countries that they have kind of bullied or pushed around a bit or really just thrown their shoulder into. And all of these countries are, are of course, creating alliances and partnerships. So I wanted to mention that. The other China story is I wanted to share a link in the Substack notes that you can get. It's a free article from the New York Times. It's actually back in September. I wanted to get it in, but it involves China and the Philippines, and the New York Times sends a reporter out there. They go on a ship just to see what China does. And in this disputed area, even though international law says that these are not Chinese islands or Chinese territory, China is increasingly calling them their own. And they, these ships that China has out there, they blast bullhorns. They fire water cannons. They will dart toward you and almost collide with your ship. And so I wanted to share that article. If you want to see, if you've got a couple minutes to read the article, it is really eye-opening what China is doing and what the West has been seeing for some time, certainly around the island of Taiwan and in other areas, and why the U.S. and the West has increasingly been saying, hey, we cannot allow these guys to do what they are trying to do. It will lead to lots of friction, lots of military buildup, and likely at some point, a whole lot of fighting and either skirmishes or larger wars as China continues to expand because China wants to do so in a military manner or a military backed manner they definitely want to throw their weight around that's for sure but again i will have that article in the substack notes if you want to take a look at it okay so let's get to the best part of the show the motivation and wisdom section i share these each week because i really think we can all benefit from a weekly pep talk i mean seriously all most of us here all day every day is negative stuff So let's flip that switch, and let's flip it now. So here is the first one. Never give up on what you really want to do. The person with big dreams is more powerful than one with all the facts. That quote is from Albert Einstein. Again, the quote is, Never give up on what you really want to do. The person with big dreams is more powerful than one with all the facts. Next one. For true success, ask yourself these four questions. Why? Why not? Why not me? Why not now? That's a good one. Again, the quote is, For true success, ask yourself these four questions. Why Why not? Why not me? Why not now? Next one. 
All children are artists. The problem is how to remain an artist once you grow up. That's a quote from Pablo Picasso. Again, all children are artists. The problem is how to remain an artist once you grow up. Next one. No one is too busy. It's only a matter of priorities. Again, no one is too busy. It's only a matter of priorities. So often we have time that we can... I know we're all busy, but we could all wake up early. You could all put your phones down. There's time to chase those dreams. We just... We let life slip through our fingers, do we not? It just kind of slides through like sand running through your fingers until you realize how precious it is. And by then you've wasted way more than you should have. So get your priorities right. Next one's nice and simple. You can totally do this. Again, you can totally do this. Next one. It's kind of in line with the last one. This was, and we all know someone who does this. The quote is, believe in yourself and stop trying to convince others. <laughs> How good is that? Believe in yourself and stop trying to convince others. It's so, we all know someone who's done that, or maybe we've done it ourselves, but your dream isn't the same as someone else. And trying to convince them, a lot of times they're just trying to look out for you, but they will do their Every, everything that they can to talk you out of it. Next one. Trust your intuition. It never lies. Again, trust your intuition. It never lies. Next one. Let your hustle be louder than your words. Again, let your hustle be louder than your words. You don't need to just be talking about it. Just Go out and do it. Let your ho- let your hustle be louder than your words. Let's finish with three of them from the Bible. Here is the first one. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I really like that last part. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Next one. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Again, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. I wanted to end with this one. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Of course, that's probably one of the top ten most famous scriptures in the Bible, but always think about how often we don't do that, and especially with today's rant at the beginning of this podcast about how we are all so focused on fear and drama, and I don't think that's what we're supposed to be focused on. Again, whatever is true... Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles, be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people.
such a good one to end with. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us. As always, I've got my email in the Substack notes. If you guys want to reach out to me, send me a line. I always answer those emails. If you enjoyed the show, please share it. Definitely still trying to grow it. Thanks again for joining me. Make sure you sign up for the email list if this is the first time you listened. As I said, if any big breaking news breaks either in Ukraine or in Israel or if Iran does something, I will send out email notifications or email alerts. Again, I don't always have time to record the podcast, work in the daily job, but I do usually have time to send out updates. So, hey, thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate you joining me.